Howdy, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, programs. I'm Jay Goldberg. So I know I get this question a lot, and it's a, it's a relatively fun, fun debate, um, but I'll sort of let you kind of kick off with your view because I know you get this question a lot. Um, there's a, there's a, a debate going on about whether the, the semi industry is, is X growth. Um, you know, not, not saying semis are dead, but people are certainly looking at, uh, at different pockets of the market that are obviously saturated. And there's a whole host of, of the market where we know what shipment volumes look like, but this whole sort of debate, right. Is the semi growth cycle over is kind of this large theme that, that I think is interesting. So, I'll let you. I'll let you jump off, and then uh, and then I'll add some comments as well. So, I guess my take is the semi cycle. Sorry, the semi growth wave is not over, but the cycle is. And you, you know, what two years ago we we would we were getting questions. I know I was. I'm sure you were too. We we're getting questions like. Are somebody's going to go to the moon, or are they going to go all the way to Mars? Like it was, right. it was the opposite. Like secular growth forever for the win, and and that wasn't believable. And now the the death of semis is equally unbelievable. Um, we're it's, it, the demand for semis is going to keep growing at a sort of fundamental level. We're going to keep putting chips in more and more things. But the great growth we've had for the last two three years it is over, and things are going to slow down. And you know. I'm shocked to learn that semiconductors are cyclical. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I also feel like what was missed of the last couple of years was just how much this rush forward of, of digitization or, or, um, you know, uh, the, the whole theme of, of rushing forward digitization and whatnot came forward where it was a little bit of an imbalance. Like without that, I do think we still would have seen, the same sort of kind of cyclical growth like you saw and, and it's normalizing, right? I get that. Um, that's kind of, I think a more, a more relative way to look at it, but, but no doubt, right. The, the pocket, I guess the pockets of the industry that people tend to get really excited about for, for right now, barring some future where we've all got AR glasses and 10 different devices on ourselves actually manifests. The most interesting parts of the market are, Really not, really not growing that much, right? Smartphones is saturated, PCs is saturated. We know the number of chips and servers. So, you know, I think there's pockets where, again, right? You just look at it and you say, okay, it's it is going to be hard to get some growth from there, volume wise, not necessarily revenue. I, I suppose. I think so. One, we have to remember, like semis are big, right? Depending on how you want to add it up, it's you know. Eight hundred billion, nine hundred billion dollar industry globally. Yeah, right. And and there are lots of people who are saying, "Oh, we're going to get to a trillion any day now." And it's probably you know we'll get there. Right. So it's a it's a big industry. We can't expect it to grow at you know double digit numbers every year. Yeah. There, and, but it's going to. There is an underlying growth that I think exceeds GDP growth globally because more mm. and more things are getting digitized. Yeah. Chip, chipped. So. Um, but at the same time, like it's so big, there's only so much value in the economy, right? If, if semis keep growing for another, you know, twenty percent a year for the next ten years, it would be eighty percent of GDP. 
I just made those numbers up, but you get my point, right? The, the, the value that each incremental sector has to deliver has to be significant or it's, you know, it's, there's just fundamental caps on how big such a big number can grow. So right. I think what we're going to see fundamentally is GDP plus a point or two growth for the whole industry. Some pockets are going to do really, really well. Other pockets are going to do less well. Yeah. Well, and, and, and what's intriguing to me is, you know, I, I sort of have this conversation with others and I was like, well, look, e- even if this was a, let's say it was a, it was, it was growing at a, at a 40% CAGR or the demand was there to grow at a 40% CAGR. We don't really have the capacity to meet that at some of the more leading edge nodes, which argue you could go into slight trail edge, not completely trailing edge, but something sh- south of 10 nanometer. You, you can only make so many. You can only make so many wafers. You can only make so many chips. So it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where by nature of just overall capacity, um, you know, we, we can only make so many semiconductors a year. And yes, people are trying to invest more, but that, you know, it's a different variable than my software demand is 100% every year. Like you can make more software. It's, 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 it scales better. So, um, yeah, I mean, on the supply side, we're, we're not even adding capacity. Lots of talk this week about TSMC, who's clearly showing signs that they're kind of slowing things down, right? They're, they're definitely, uh, they reported earnings this week. Today's what, April 24th. So just yeah. last week they, record, they reported earnings and they held CapEx for this year constant with their prior guide. But it, it's clear that that's, a lot of that's already been spent. And so the second yep. half will be weaker. And big questions about how much they're going to spend next year now, probably down a little bit. We talked about this last time, the big analog companies are all being very conservative. They're either holding capacity steady or, you know, reducing capacity or reducing, reducing CapEx. And, and so, you know, the sort of most sober conservative people in the industry are, you know, being, doing, doing exactly that. They're making sober conservative calculations. Yeah. There's, you know, we we don't, because they don't necessarily see, you know, 40% Kager growth out there. If they did, they would be adding a lot more capacity. They know that, that's exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, right? I think they, and you read a lot of the commentary that they that they give, you know, mostly the, the commentary I see from what they're giving to the street. They're essentially giving a very, like you said, a very reasoned outlook at their customer conversations as well as their demand curve and have a pretty good feel for, you know, that supply. I think if anything, right, they'd love to have a little bit more, customers at trailing edge, but that's a whole different product segment than more, more at the leading edge. But yeah, you're, you're right. I think that's the, that's the real key is they are, they, they've got a good read on the market and we sort of know what the, what the conservative growth looks like for at least the next 12 to 18 months. That's right. That's right. And, and I think that reflects cyclical more than anything else, right? It's, yeah. We've had a lot of capacity expansion, had a lot of demand, all that's reverting to mean. And so, you know, demand expectations are slowing. Let's, we we don't have to go crazy with capacity. Yeah. I think the cyclicality of it is is a really interesting conversation when, when again, we think about how much more of the world, you know, is yet to transfer or, or transition from analog to digital and get connected like cyclicality could actually come. And this is another part of the debate. So, so chime in on this too, because I think it's interesting, right? Cyclicality could come in even bigger waves because again, we don't necessarily know the upgrade cycle of 
a lot of those, I mean, again, right, as more content goes to vehicles or as more content goes to IoT and smart city and smart grid, like those are very unpredictable refresh rates, more so than what we see in PCs and smartphones and to some degree data center. So I just wonder, you know, is it going to be these bigger cyclical waves or again, might there be some normalization on the way that everybody balances their supply chain? Well, I, th- I think, I mean, let's look at it sort of near term and longer term. Because near term, one of the interesting things to me about this cycle is the way that the demand curve or the yeah demand curves have been staggered, right? In in the past, we've gone through these cycles, and everybody tends to be fairly co- you know correlated. This time around, every sector has started its contraction at a different point. PC started two years ago. Mobile started mm-hmm. a year ago. We're mm-hmm. just now getting to the point where automotive industrial analog is is going to start it's just starting its downward tra- trajectory right and and the hope is you know mobile bottoms out second half of this year i mean that's that's going to be in the middle of a big analog inventory overbuild right they're going to be writing you know writing down all that inventory or you know lowering numbers so i think it's it's fascinating it's important right now because everything is a little bit different and it makes it i think it confused a lot of people because there's so many conflicting signals. I had a lot of people ask me like, oh, supply is still constrained, right? I'm like, no, no, no. Supply is only constrained in auto. And that was mm-hmm. a few mm-hmm. months ago. Supply has not been constrained in mobile for a year. Now, long term, I think you raise a really interesting point. What are what are refresh rates going to be? And I, I don't think we even, I don't even think we're ready to have that conversation because a lot of these things aren't even installed. You know, smart right. cities, which is a pretty nebulous term, is still being you know, people are still trying to figure out what it means, right? And if we think right. automotive product cycles are long, like, it, it, you know, <laughs> local, political, city product cycles are going to be measured in decades. So we, it's, it's years before those things get built. Um, but there is a really good question. Like, we, we've gotten to the point now where mobile phones, we understand the refresh rate. It's, it was three years now, probably four years, somewhere in there. And it's been lengthening, right? Because phones are getting expensive. Yeah. Um, what are refresh rates going to look like on cars? Um, you know, that's like who knows, right? You, you buy a car today, and you know the, the software in my Toyota, like the family car, is you know it's 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 pretty good for what it is. I bought it twenty twenty two. It's much better than the software in my wife's work BMW, which you know cost double the price. But the software is better in in the you know in the cheap Toyota. What, you know what do you you know it's it's it reminds me a lot of like mobile phones. Remember that uh, there was that luxury brand Virtu. Nokia had a luxury yep. brand yep. of phones that was like diamond encrusted, platinum plated phones. Nokia phones that yep. sold for like two hundred thousand dollars, crazy crazy numbers. But there was a point where those were being sold. They were they were feature phones, right? They were twelve T, mm-hmm. and they didn't mm-hmm. do anything. And you could buy an Android phone for. 400 bucks right next to it. Like, why would you buy the, the super expensive phone that does less than the super advanced smartphone? Yeah. It, and, and I think, I think we may, we may get to a point where, where cars are like that too. Right. And, and you know, there, there'll be upgrade cycles in cars, you know, we'll have, right. And, and then, and then we get to autonomy, which is a whole other sure. thing in the future. Yeah. So I, yeah. there's an argument to be made that, that, that upgrade cycles for cars will shrink as electronics and software become more important. But it's right. still that's still five, six years away before we even, can even really have that conversation. Yeah. 
What's interesting too is like I keep, and and this is this is, and I think everybody recognizes the point, right? In terms of the long term conversation, what what I wonder though is, is some of the angst uh, because I feel it to some degree with with a lot of the investor community because it is a really you know tricky cycle. I mean, I saw this report um, a couple weeks ago that in terms of institutional large institutional holdings, semiconductor companies are still generally um, you know, underheld. And so I also, I kind of always look at that. And I'm like, you know, it just seems like, you know, this is kind of still an obvious growth sector, but there's still a lot of hesitancy about where, and I think again, right, just, it's tough to model. A lot of this stuff is just kind of tricky and not normally how most investors like to run financial models on. Um, but I wonder how much of that, right. It kind of gets into it. Well, how long can I be? How bullish should I be? Like, you know, you make those trade-offs based on where you need to make, make money in a, in a short term. Yeah, I, I, you know, the stock market has its much shorter time horizon, and so it has to. We have to contend with that. One of the things I, I noticed when I was an analyst, if I was having a conversation with an investor, trying to say, "Oh, I really like this stock. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's got all these solid, really solid fundamental trends underneath it." Right. What, once I got to secular trends, I'd already lost the argument. Like, I, just, mm-hmm. the argument's over. Right. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't make an argument why the stock was going to perform in the next six to twelve months. It, you know, I could, I could, it could be my favorite stock in the world, the best run company in the world, my long-term buy. They were going to short it, right? They, they, you know, and, and they probably weren't wrong, right? For what they were, for their time horizon. So I, I, I think there was a lot of talk in the last few years about secular trends. And those are true, but for the, for investors right now, the, the cyclical dominates everything. Like that, yeah. the, the, you know, that's, that conquers all. Yeah. And and it, and it, and they, it worries because you know again to your point right the the areas where they used to sort of measure this PCs and smartphones both have been hit really hard are both obviously very cyclical um, also coming off some pretty pretty ugly comparables with again longer refresh cycles so it's it's really it's a rapidly maturing industry with still some industries that are yet to fully embrace semiconductors, which I think is kind of an interesting, you know, an interesting modality as we break that up and, and, and look at different segments of the industry. It's, it's rich with maturity and then also areas that are immature, but those immature areas are going to be even more so right in this, in this cyclical growth that we're talking about. Yeah. And it's, it's not just new areas, right? There's GPUs are going to see phenomenal growth in the next few years. We can't get no one can get enough NVIDIA GPUs right now, yeah. Because AI is the new thing. I mean, GPUs are what a forty-year-old category, but they're probably going to be the hottest sector in, in semis this this year. Um, yeah. So this year, maybe next year, maybe, <laughs> maybe next the year, year after. <laughs> so, so on piggybacking on on what we talked about last time, just, just looking at you know one market's pocket of growth. Um, you know, what are you thinking? Some of the better growth measurements will be as we look at this, right? Maybe it's not volume, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's revenue, maybe it's TAM expansion, kind of how would you, how would you think about like measuring growth? I, to me, the most important thing in the next few years is going to be pricing. And it's, it's hard because not many companies really give much pricing data or unit data. Um, but I think pricing is what's, what's going to be really critical here because there are going to be some, some categories like GPUs where you know, price, it's a, it's a buyer's, it's a seller's market, right? It's prices, whatever NVIDIA feels like 
charging. Um, there are other categories though where uh, we, we haven't had much pricing pressure in a long time, not just because of the pandemic, just but just because of consolidation in the industry. And I think I think that is going to start to change. Mm. There's still there's a lot of excess capacity out there, and so uh, that that bodes poorly for pricing in trailing edge. Um, and, you know, certain analog categories are probably going to look pretty weak starting now. Um, but I think pricing is the is the real key one. Company, you know, there'll be some sectors that are just going to have a pricing really strong pricing power. Uh, probably not CPUs, but definitely GPUs. If somebody finds the right AI accelerator, that that could do it. Um, really uh, digitally capable analog chips are going to be in big demand now too. So it it just to me pricing is the key. A- absent that, I like to look at you know a good way to look at it is operating margins. Um, I think that's always a, a very useful metric for the industry because um, you know like with with smartphones we had this big thing where. Apple had zero, very low market share, but had all the operating profits of the industry. Uh, we're not going to see anything that extreme in semiconductors, but there are definitely companies that are going to have much tighter operating profits. That's probably the best way to look at pricing: is gross profits and operating profits. Yeah, and I think that you know, but I think that pool is going to continue to increase because they're just we're still constrained, and you know, there are only there are a lot of categories where there's two or three or only one vendor, and so yep. that that's you know good for good for them and their shareholders, I guess. <laughs> that that that's kind of one dynamic I think is interesting to look at is is who actually has the ability to leverage pricing power. Um, you know, a couple of specific names come to mind, which you've mentioned several already in the show. Um, you know, but the other one is, you know, I, I I've always looked at companies when when they're generally X growth, meaning that they're not adding loads of new customers, they typically try to, you know, increase their ARPU, right? Raise prices or get more money from existing part, existing customers because they're just not getting new, new customers anymore. And so I think that that pricing dynamic plays into how they'll get some of that growth, right? Where they can raise those prices. Um, but also I sense, I sense that angst in all of these areas that you're talking about of the lack of competition, right? People saying, well, I don't just want to be beholden to this vendor. I would actually like some pricing negotiation so that I've got options and have you know, a more diversified supply chain. But it's not, it's not exactly that, that cut and dry in, in, in today's market. But that's, that's kind of where I've, to feed onto your pricing point, I can see you know, people really looking at ARPU or increasing prices of their products, because again, especially in these high compute areas, we're just not, we're just not adding new devices that, that need that. It's a fixed number of products in, in leading edge compute. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's also important to realize how we got here because it's, this is not just a function of the, the pandemic. This is a function of the last 20 years of Western semiconductors. We've gone from 2,000 vendors to 200. Uh, and a, a lot of that can be traced to, to I mean, just it's a, it's a big wave of consolidation. You can trace a lot of it back to a, a very small number of catalysts who sort of forced everyone else to consolidate, you know, notably, mm-hmm. notably Broadcom. Right? I think Broadcom's an important example. Avago, Broadcom did a lot of deals in the last 20 years. It's been fantastic for their shareholders uh it's arguably uh you know a zero interest rate uh beneficiary um but it's also you know worth noting they don't do semiconductors anymore they're you know they're focused on software so i think we've had 20 years of consolidation 
And that's left so many categories with two, three, two, one vendors, and they get the pricing power. And so my point is to, to change that, we're going to have to see new vendors enter the market. And, you know, I, I realized in the, in the back of my head, like the, the sort of thing that sort of, I haven't articulated before, but I think there is an immense amount of trailing edge capacity in China mm-hmm. uh, that is going to be a, a, a part of the catalyst that shakes all of this up. Right. There are a lot of those legacy nodes are going to be incredibly price competitive in the next few years. And so yep. anybody who can stay ahead of that will be okay. But there are lots of companies, even in the US, who are going to you know, feel, feel that uh, increasingly. Yeah, to- totally agree with that point. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out, whether that's you know, new, new brands, white label products, like, I don't know, companies getting into, getting into semis who weren't before but might have had an analog you know, controller, control system, something, right? I, I'm super intrigued by that. Because again, that's the only place that I think you can really get capacity and start to start to actually push an, an invention cycle. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a little better than that. There'll be some interesting places. That, you know, we talked a little bit about sensors last episode or the one before. Yeah, yeah. Where, and I think I think there's some interesting things happening in, in markets like that where there are companies coming on, coming on stream now who have learned all the lessons of the past 20 years and are very lean, right? I know a team that's, you know, 20 people built a AI accelerator in nine months, right? So very, very lean um, or building new business models into what they do. So they have some other competitive barrier, competitive advantage. So there, there will be pockets that do better. Um, but f- for a lot of other, you know, a lot of other companies, anything that could ever be called a commodity is, it's, I'd be a little concerned to be them right now. Yeah. So you, you made an interesting point and now I, I'm intrigued by your answer to this question because, you know, I know years ago we were all like, the answer was yes. Now I think the environment's a little bit different, but it's about further consolidation in semis. And I wonder if part of this is, is it even feasible that regulators would allow any more consolidation and two sides, right? If no, then it's a clean answer, right? There's very little to no consolidation going to happen in semis. If it's yes, all right, well, that's kind of interesting. Where might be that consolidation come from? So I think in the U.S. there is very little large cap consolidation left. There's, you know, there's a couple, a couple names that I can think of that are maybe possibly targets like Marvel, mm. but who knows? There's probably a little bit of consolidation left in small cap analog. There's mm. still a lot of analog, small analog yeah. companies in this world. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I know a lot of people are looking at rolling up some of these really, really small, small ones. There's something to be done there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of deal making that left there. But the, the big ones, no, I, I think it's going to be very, very hard. Right, both because U.S. government has gotten much more wary of large companies buying other large companies, not just in semis, but in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then there's China, right? I mean, China. There's a big article in the Wall Street Journal two, three weeks ago saying China has weaponized its M and A regulatory approvals, which is which is true. Like they'll they'll sit on deals. Um, it's not it's not news. They've been doing it for many years, but. It's true. They'll sit on deals that they don't like, um, not necessarily because they like that they have a, a policy problem with them, 
or specific to that, they have, they're just trying to it's geopolitics. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a geopolitical yeah. thing. It has nothing to do with semiconductors or that company specifically. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe you'd agree that the, the way that the Qualcomm NXP one kind of shook out so, sort of made it clear that it would be really, really tough to get any kind of a, of a, of a consolidation like that to, to happen again. Um, I think that was kind of the nail on the coffin for any, any further consolidation, at least of the big five, six ish semiconductor companies, 20. big 20, I think big, big 20. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like the name, the big, the big 20. I don't, um, I don't even know who, who's in that 20, but yeah, it's, it's you know, yeah. anybody of, any, of any size is going to be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back, back to the growth point, like this is interesting because with a number of, of those big semiconductor companies that, that we talk to regularly, you know, it, it's tricky because, you know, you, you make the pricing point and I think while they embrace that, right, they're always thinking, well, look, I want other people's customers or I want, you know, new customers, but it's tricky because and it, even the growth markets that we've talked to, maybe to some degree, uh, uh, data center, but also right in automotive, those are really long cycles. Like if you, like, I, I just, I, I put myself in the shoes of one of these companies. I say, okay, if I need to get really good growth, right? 20, 30% growth in the next few years, it's, it's pretty slim pickings. I mean, yes, good competition, but two, there's not a lot of immediate opportunities because of, again, saturation in some of these, you know, premium parts of the market. I, I just don't think the answer for them is right. Analog and or digital trailing edge IOT, good volumes, not rich, but you know, again, but I'm just, it's just a fascinating point to me that it's like, it's kind of hard to say if I was CEO of so-and-so where, you know, where am I going to get my growth from when any area that's an adjacent to adjacency to me is a really long, long cycle. Like it's not going to be a year, not going to be two years. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's why everyone got so excited about uh, uh, XR, AR, VR. At dust. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because people are looking for you know the next hot category that's been driving semis forever right? yeah. PCs and mobile whatever right and and we don't have that next hot category we'll, we'll yep. see what Apple launches but you know that's but that it's that's what's going to take Apple's going to have to come up with its next hit product that everyone else is going to have to race after to be the next hit category and that that's you know, that could be that could that could take a long time Sure, but but even on that point, right? And this is this is again why I think this is interesting. So let's just say that again, it's not going to be this product. I'm not going to tell anybody as it's going to be three grand. Very few people will buy this. But again, let's just say that in the next right. twelve months, Apple comes up with something that is possible to ship in volume. Where are they going to get the capacity to make that? Like you're going to make it on a leading edge node because that's what makes it small and gives you that amount of compute. GSMC is booked up for the next three years on three nanometer. So where are they, where are they going to get another thirty million, forty million leading? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> so that's that's just why I think these problems are funny is because people say that and like when you know the supply chain, you're like, uh, you're going to start pulling semiconductors off the semiconductor growing tree, you know, somewhere because there's just no more capacity. It's it's locked up. Yeah, yeah. but and, that and compounds the problem. Right. Yeah. I, I think I th you're right. It compounds. Like, and, and goggles are a great example of that because it's so clear. You need the smallest chip possible. Um, totally. But even, even in larger categories, it's, it's going to be tricky, right? I mean, 
It's the, some of these like automotive, like you need a lot of automotive silicon. It's a good thing they're going to take their time with those product cycles because by the time they make up their minds, we'll, exactly. we'll have enough capacity for them. It, it, to, totally right, right. And, and, and again, like I had this conversation with with some Apple investors. You know, they were like the, you know, buy into my thesis. You know, a little bit that the Mac's the growth category, but I was like, again, let's just say that next year there's enough demand for forty million Macs. Well, where are they going to get the silicon? Right? There's there's demand for another twenty million iPhones. Where are they going to get the silicon? Like, it's just it doesn't exist, and that's where it's kind of like. It's a fixed problem. I just think people underestimate the reality of that with some of these growth areas is we, we know those numbers and we know how many we can make to fit those certain product categories. Yep. And it's, you know, let's, let's think about it because I know Apple has a pretty sophisticated operations organization planning out all of its manufacturing, including semiconductors. Yep. I don't know that a lot of the other chip companies are quite as sophisticated. Like the ones who, the IDMs, the analog guys, do that, but like the operations teams at some of the fabulous companies are, I, I don't think they're typically geared up to think long-term multi-year strategically. I don't, I don't want to diminish their abilities because they, but they have a hard enough job just sort of planning out the next nine to 12 months. Thinking like long-term is, is, is very tricky, very difficult for them. But, and, but, none but of, and none of the chip companies have a good ability to forecast and demand. Excellent. So it's, it's going to be very hard for them. Sorry. There's there's two dynamics to this that I think are super interesting. The first is is exactly your second point, which is that I just don't think there's a better company at forecasting product demand than Apple. They have they have made some missteps along the way. Everybody understands, right? The iPhone, um, you know, six ish, six plus. They didn't think they were going to sell that many. Like we get it. There was there was some problems, but as a whole you'll never find a more a more consistent company. But let's just play devil's advocate and say that AMD, Intel, well maybe to some degree not Intel cuz they they are vertical in their own factories, but um, AMD, Nvidia, you know, you you name it, right? <clears throat> the hard part is that when you're competing with Apple, who is generally supplier number 1, priority number 1 for everybody in the supply chain, even if you wanted to plan that, you're planning around Apple's demand your second, your third tier. So there's really, really not much you could do, right? Even if you wanted to be that good of a planning, your options are are pretty limited because a good example of this, right? I don't know the exact numbers, but some estimates around TSMC, um, you know, three nanometers, Apple will have 80% of, of that this year and yeah. then almost 60% next year. Okay, so if you're NVIDIA, if you're AMD, if you're Ampere, if you're so-and-so, there's just a piece of the pie that you're left with, right? There's nothing you can do about that because they Apple is priority number one. So it's kind of like, I, I sympathize with your point, which is like, you're right, right? They don't have that demand. But even if they did, I just don't think they could do it well. They're subject to what's left available in wafers after Apple. And, and let's not forget, NVIDIA and AMD are customers number two and three Yeah, TSMC. Both of them are 100% on TSMC. Big have made big commitments to TSMC, so Apple gets what they want. AMD and Nvidia get not everything they want, but probably most of what they want. And then there's everybody else, right? That's, yep. You know, a few absolutely. In the thousand companies that are fighting for what's left over, and yep. it's, yeah, it's going to be very tricky. And and this is the but, thing but that I think. At is... the, but at the same time, TSMC is sending is mm-hmm. delaying stuff, slowing stuff down. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right? And again, has pricing pressure, like you said, has all sorts of levers at their disposal should, should they choose. But, you know, that, and, and that's why, like, we, you know, in all the supply chain, you know, work that we do, like, I feel for a lot of these vendors because I hear them. They're like, oh, look, we can't get supply. We know Apple's ordered so many. But the the hard part is, is that at the same time, right, if you're, if you're, you know, Avago, if you're NXP, if you're, you know, name your supplier to Apple, for the most part, they're guaranteeing volumes for you. Like that's a great sale because you know, because of what their product demands would be, you basically can just block that up. They're a volume buyer. That's what people like. Like not everybody's a volume buyer in this business. And that kind of leaves you with this supply chain dynamic that that is really, really pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently did a consulting project for a tier three automotive player, and they they want the the scope of the engagement was to come up with their semiconductor strategy, mm. right? And right because they all went through the supply constraints, and they they go, oh, now we have to think about strategically, and and like you know, fifty page report with all their options, you know, distributors, vars, you know, purchase long term purchase commitments, working directly with the founder, like all these crazy, not crazy, actually pretty solid strategies. And at the end, at the end, they said, yeah, you know what? We're, we're too small. <laughs> we're, we're just going to like double our buffer inventory. That's our strategy because there was nothing else to do. Like, they're like, they're yeah. like we can't directly engage with TI They're you know, we're, you know, we're the 200th largest customer. They're, yeah. We're, we're just happy when they return our phone calls. Yep. It, it's one of those things where as much as I hate, you know, the mantra and, and really the realities behind, the, you know, big tech just gets bigger, bigger, or really that's just a friendly way of saying the rich just get richer. These are the, 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 the negotiating leverage that you have for supply, for buying up supply, right? To be a guaranteed volume buyer, it's, it's good money for a lot of these companies who also have to show this growth story that we're talking about, right? To their investors, it relies a lot on these big parts. In fact, even TSMC, right? TSMC said, you know, we're we're expecting in the third quarter a, a a significant customer revenue contribution for three nanometer. Like you know who they're talking about. <laughs> it's it's really no secret, but it's good for their balance sheet. So yeah, I, I say it. I sympathize, but I also understand you know the game from that side uh, as it is as it is played. That's right. And and you know, a year from now, we're, we're going to have the opposite conversation where there's going to be too much supply everywhere. Maybe not a year, eighteen months from now. Right, not well, everywhere. I mean, not at three nanometer. Not at not at three nanometer, yeah. but a lot of other places. Agreed, and yeah. that's and that's the thing. Like to your point about trailing edge, like I in TSMC's reports actually, and you know I hate to constantly keep using them as the bellwether, but for right now they are. You right, they're actually underutilized at seven nanometer and five. Yeah. So that that makes some interesting questions. Which is okay, if there's capacity at five and seven, now what is that? I mean, that doesn't. That's not where where smartphone makers want to be or or you know pc that makers want to be but there might be some good options for that in chiplets for data center for you know custom asics i, I just, I, i'm curious to see how that plans out because tsmc needs right to keep making money from from trailing edge foundries and there's capacity at five and seven which what what what, what two years ago was a was a fantastic right. you know right. node so right. i mean it's it, it's interesting to me because it reflects what we've been talking about. You have a lot of capacity at seven nanometer right now because of weak smartphone demand. If you're if you're a company that makes chips for smartphones, do you hold back? There, right, we'll just stay mm. on seven nanometer. We don't we don't we won't push to five. There's no point in pushing to three because we can't get past Apple. 
So let's just stay at seven. Yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, 10 years ago that would have been suicidal, but now the, you know, everything, all these, all the nodes are taking longer. Hanging around on an old node because you can get capacity there might, might be the smart strategy. And I think that's a big, that's an important change for the industry. And you know, what's interesting. I don't know the answer to this. Maybe if somebody listening does, um, I don't think anyone's done a non-monolithic on seven nanometer, a chiplet approach. Like I'd be curious if, okay, again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But let's just say that someone hasn't. I'd be very curious what kind of efficiencies and or creative creative block, you know, compute you could do if you did approach chiplets on a later node and yielded some of that benefit um, by architecting, you know, a system a new way on, on a later node to your point maybe a low-end product actually becomes a little bit more heavy compute maybe more competitive with the five ish four nanometer product I, i'd be fascinated to see if people start adopting approaches like that on on later nodes like leading edge technology 3d stacking etc on later nodes where i don't think it's been done before so i think that's an explicit selling point of of chiplets i've, I've heard that used before where the idea is you can mix and match, not just mm-hmm. different, you know, co- different p- parts, but actually like they'll be on different processes because mm-hmm. that, it makes sense. You know, I, it certainly makes sense in, in, in like in mobile where you have a fair number, a fair, fairly high component of the bomb is analog circuitry, which doesn't need to be at the leading edge. Um, I, I think you could probably, there are probably parts of a, even a data center CPU that could, that you know, having something at seven nanometer wouldn't be the end of the end of the world. Something yeah. IO maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, well, and I remember I, that was a that was a really good node for GPUs in particular. And so I just wonder, right, how much that could play in. I I, I think someone might have used a seven nanometer tile on a leading node, but I don't think anybody's mix and matched on seven as a whole. Like brought five or used fourteen. Do you know what I mean? I'd be really curious what would happen if somebody gets creative like that, which to your point, people might have to do because these are the areas where they can, the only areas where they can get capacity. Yeah. I, I think one of the a- AMD CPUs, and I, I get, I get my nomenclature confused, but one of them, the one that had all the chiplets in it. Started on seven. I can't remember if that was five or seven. Yeah. I can't remember either, but I, I, I know that different chiplets in that, in that MCM had, different processes they were all sort yeah. of on the same node but there are different variants right. of the node yes um, yes so yes we're almost there right yeah almost there yeah no i love those creative approaches like this is the kind of thing where i just really hope something unexpected right something that we're like that's clever that's really cool like just gets born out of that right that element of excess capacity and really good pricing because again tsmc can do all that they want and control pricing on you know three three nanometer they're, you know, three nanometer B, but they need people. They need to fill those foundries at five and seven. So they're willing to be creative. I think we're going to see it in China, right? I think there was a report this week that SMIC is, is still buying. I mean, SMIC is buying all the DUV machines they can because they want to get to, they want to beef up their seven nanometer process. Yeah. Because they, they don't have a roadmap past seven, but people are already impressed at the fact that they can do seven at all. I think when this when the trade war started, there was an assumption that they couldn't really get past get to seven. They're able to do it. We don't know how good it is, but it's you know they call it seven nanometer, and they're buying a lot more machinery to 
beef that up. They're going to have to be creative. They're going to, you know, they're they absolutely EV machines. So I think we'll see a lot of interesting stuff come out of China just out of sheer necessity. Yeah. And we, and we haven't even, you know, broached the, cause it's not there yet, but at some point we will win. If China does figure out more leading edge, what does that look like now from a growth standpoint, right? Once they bring capacity on and for the Chinese ecosystem, perhaps in, in ways they didn't have access to leading edge before. Not that that, I mean, again, it, it, maybe it would, maybe it would act a, a giant pocket of growth. I, I'm not sure, but I think that's an interesting an interesting element when uh, when they do you know have that capacity because obviously they're a huge market digitizing like crazy semis is you know the core of the nation um and yeah if they got to seven and eventually five that that could that could add add a lot to the growth of the semiconductor industry yeah a lot of units to your, to your point it's gonna add a lot of units, units. Yes, a lot, of, a lot of units. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap that up for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Farewell. Farewell.